Welcome to HLB Cross Border Business Talks, HLB's global podcast series on international business topics. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to our podcast. My name is Carlos Camacho. I'm the leader of transfer pricing in HLB International, and I'm very pleased and glad to be sharing this podcast with uh, my colleagues, Kristen Janfog and Marina Gentile. Uh, We're going to be addressing a subject regarding the transfer pricing matters applicable to intangible assets. So I think it's better if we start talking about transfer pricing in general. The terminology of transfer pricing may lead the uh, people to think about a price of a good or a service. And unfortunately, the terminology is not plenty to explain what transfer pricing is all about. Transfer pricing is all about a comparison of the assets involved in the production of a good or a poor service, the risk that each of the parties are boring in the transaction, as well as the functions that each of the parties are overtaking. Transfer pricing is only applicable when those transactions do occur within related parties. So if two independent individuals, companies, entities in general, do enter into a contract, it is deemed to be treated as a right transfer pricing analysis because both parties are trying to behave economically. Behaving economically means that the seller is trying to obtain the highest price possible and the buyer is going to try to obtain the least value for that acquisition. That doesn't happen when you are a related party because there is a common interest of shareholders that you have in common, maybe directors that are in common, and it varies from legislation to legislation. And today we're going to try to go over what is deemed to be related parties within the framework of the OECD guidelines, which is followed by most of the jurisdictions all over the world. Welcome. Christian, welcome, Marina. Oh, great to be here. Great to be here, Carlos. Hello, everyone. So, So just I'd love to I'd love to jump on what you said, Carlos, about um, you know the not just about (laughs) transfer of goods and services. I think intangibles are sometimes forgotten in the mix of transfer pricing, right? I know when I speak to my clients, um, they don't necessarily um, think about it that way or understand that concept or or understand that, you know, the one entity that's been developing and incurring the cost of development of the intangible, you know, whatever that is, um, needs to be compensated by the other entities in the group that are then, you know, profiting from it, selling it out in the marketplace, you know, earning revenue on that intangible that it hasn't actually, you know, expended any resource towards developing. Um, And I also want to say that I think in terms of 
intangible or intellectual property, I think we need to think of it as less legally defined, right? It doesn't, it's not necessarily something that's been patented, registered, you know, legally claimed as an intangible, but rather the the secret sauce of the global business, right? Like what drives this business? What are they expending funds towards developing that puts them at an advantage? Absolutely. Christian? Yeah, I agree. Uh, the intangible is visible as long as it is registered as a patent. So if you transfer such an intangible, you see it and you think about tax consequences. As long as you have other values which are not registered in such a way, then you have the case and you run the danger and the tax risk that this transaction is not considered under fair transfer pricing with the tax consequences if this is picked up in a tax audit. And let's say intangible, we can understand today for tax purposes at least in the broadest sense possible because each profit potential carrying item in a company which can be transferred is a possible intangible. And the digitalization makes it extremely necessary to think about this in text term because intangibles become the global driver in creation value. And they are shifted in multinational companies from the parent company to subsidiaries or from subsidiaries to another sister company and so on. And the, the tax consequences are almost obvious if you are aware that if you shift a value driver from one place to another, you transfer value. And value is the profit generating un unit, and which is, for perspective of, of the tax uh, authorities, is the source of taxable income. And that's why it's so important in our days now to put utmost attention on this topic. Absolutely, and that's why this is becoming a global issue. I mean, the OECD, which uh, uh, is kind of the patrolling entity of the type of uh, approach to avoid uh, tax evasion and tax avoidance internationally, they do the patrolling in order to make sure that the fair share of taxation is allocated to the jurisdiction that it pertains, avoiding to have artificial meanings of shifting the intangibles, for instance, from a high, high, heavily taxed jurisdiction to a lower tax jurisdiction. And that's what brought the discussion amongst the OECD in 2015 to create a set of rules so-called BEPS, which is Based Erosion Profit Shifting, and it's an avoidance program, which consists of 15 actions prepared in a very coherent fashion by the OECD. There is a, a very interesting point that Christian mentioned, which is digitalization, because the number one action of 
the 15 actions of BEPS is digital economy. And all of a sudden, all the 15 actions were delivered except for action number one, which is the most difficult one. And of course, we will have other chances to go over digital economy in another podcast uh, coming up. But in fact, the BEPS analysis is trying to determine whether or not there is a business reason for this shifting of the asset. If there is a purely tax-driven motivation in order to save the taxes, whether that is legal, that's avoidance, or whether that's illegal, that's evasion. So I think that that's the big challenge that these transactions have, these transactions have when they're amongst related parties. Marina. Yeah, Carlos, that's an excellent point. I mean, let's face it, right? The taxpayer, the multinational is at a bit of a disadvantage in that, you know, the tax authorities, no matter what, <laughs> no matter what country um, is, you know, almost has this preconceived notion that uh, multinationals are manipulating taxes through transfer pricing, right? It's just they're, they're, the expectation is that is what's happening. Um, I think the reality, I mean, for a lot of us is people just don't understand the complex, you know, regulations and international laws around transfer pricing and all of this and, and you know, and value creation and, and, and you know, what that means when you're shifting something. Um, so, you know, I, it really is on the taxpayer to, to, you know, to get the right advice and understand sort of, you know, what that is and what that means, right? Um, the IP, you know, intellectual property is, is king in any global organization, you know, following the functions, assets and risk, right? It's typically the assets part um, where, you know, wherever that, IP is located, funded, you know, developed, et cetera, paid for, that's the entrepreneurial risk taker of the business. Meaning, you know, it's the entity that yes, in the beginning incurs the highest costs related to the development, but also reaps the biggest rewards, right? There's no ceiling to that entity. That entity can be as, you know, profitable as, you know, as that IP is successful. Um, and, you know, other entities in the organization are some kind of, you know, lower risk or limited risk, limited function entity, um, you know, within within the chain. So, you know, identifying that IP and where it's located and sending that message to all the tax authorities, um, you know, in, in the that are related to this global business is really key. Um, you want to set the stage and and ideally the stage is that it's one location that owns that IP, but we can get into that as well because it, it definitely gets more complicated if it's more than one location. Um, but and then building the substance around it. So the transfer pricing piece of it is. You know where you have that IP, the substance needs to be there. The strategy, the chief technology officer, a development team, etc. You can still have developers in other parts of the world, of course, um, especially post COVID, you know, people are located everywhere and that's fine as long as they're compensated appropriately. So that's where that net cost plus markup structure for the service of developing comes in 
while maintaining the integrity of the risk um, with the entrepreneurial risk taker. So. I think Marina expresses one decisive point. It is question, where is the intangible allocated? Before BEPS, it was quite easy. We had the concept of legal ownership. Right. And legal owner is that entity that pays the bill for the development or acquisition of the IP. This concept of legal ownership is put from top to the bottom. Now we have the concept of economic ownership. And it can happen that the legal owner, meaning the company paying the bill, is not the economic owner. Yeah. And this is the, uh, in my opinion, the um, most severe consequence of BEPS that we have to um, to screen the existing concepts that are already in place if the legal if, if the allocation to the legal owner is still the right way to allocate the asset and now I coming to the point economic ownership what does it mean and uh, the uh, Topic or the uh, uh, keyword is DEMPI. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this um, is uh, DEMPI asks uh, who develops, improves, maintains, protects, or employs the intangible asset. So we have five criteria in order to determine who is the economic owner. And it is quite obvious that we have in maximum five possible economic owners. The one maybe that pays the bill, the other one that develops, the other one that improves, the other one that maintains. So this makes the things very complex. In the end, it is a, a very uh, difficult uh, question how to evaluate and how to consider which portion of contribution for the development of such a good is so decisive that you can say, you are the economic owner. And it is very clear that we will see uh, uh, endless discussions with tax authorities, not only in one country, but uh, uh, in the worst case, with, in various countries. So this uh, uh, little change from the uh, principle of legal to economic ownership is in fact a disruptive change uh, in, in, uh, in practical. Indeed, I guess that this is being plenty uh, for a round of uh, issues that can be the consequence of intangibles. We thank you for all your input, uh, both Marina and Christian. And of course, we'll be delighted to be sharing with you uh, further podcasts in, in the next future. Thanks for listening. For more information about this topic and other cross-border business insights, visit www.hlb.global forward slash insights.